Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Christopher Rouleau, who is a Toronto-based graphic designer, letterer, and visual artist. And he joined us almost one year ago to the day to record Iconic Toronto Typography with Christopher Rouleau, episode number 20. I'm chatting with him today about his newest project called The New Pop. And here's a primer to our conversation and to his project. He says this. Packaged consumer goods are an ideal subject to explore socioeconomic systems. A quote from MoMA articulates, these carefully manufactured and immaculately finished cartons allude to the powerful, yet invisible, force behind the production and marketing of the products themselves. They are symbols of the complicated network of demand and supply, essential to the formation of a consumerist culture. Furthermore, product packaging, the sophisticated visual language that manipulates our relationship with products, is essentially just a strategic placement of color and text. Despite consumers' best efforts to support local, many of Canada's favorite companies are in fact owned by U.S. mega corporations. Even wholly owned Canadian brands only offer the illusion of choice, including Real Canadian Superstore, No Frills, Value Mart, and Shoppers Drug Mart, all subsidiaries of the Loblaw Company's conglomerate. Brands under the same corporate umbrella sells us the same items at drastically different prices. Corporations benefit from consumer complacency, and furthermore, profit from this type of misaligned brand loyalty and product nationalism. Christopher uses traditional sign painting techniques to create a false screen print overlay with acrylic paint, which in itself is a critique of the medium, real versus imposter. Through careful juxtaposition, wordplay, and exaggerated scale, he subverts familiar legacy packaging to make us look closer. The new pop urges us to think more critically about branding, the Canadian identity, and our everyday consumption. I think this is such an interesting and important topic to explore, and I am really excited to get into this conversation with Christopher. In the following conversation, he and I also chat about his sources of inspiration, one of which was his grandmother's handwriting growing up. And I can't wait for you to hear all about that, especially his idea (laughs) to bring cursive writing back into the hands of Canadian kids. And maybe this is the catalyst he needs to get that project off the ground. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it. We'll hear more about it in just a few minutes. With that, I will say welcome, Christopher. Okay, well, I don't even really know where to start. Um, I'll tell you that it is an idea that's been brewing for several years, but with the pandemic and COVID, I had a little extra time to spend on researching and developing the idea. Um, I was really interested 
in terms of the concept, I was really interested in um, Canadian identity by means of Canadian products and uh, classic design. But from a sort of pop art perspective, so definitely taking influence from pop artists like Andy Warhol. I had the privilege of seeing an Andy Warhol exhibit a few years ago, and I was really, really interested with his early work before he started screen printing Marilyn Monroe and, and uh, soup cans, he was actually painting still life objects like soup cans. And they were half unfinished and like often dripping. It's almost like I, 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 I liked his process work more than the, the, the finished screen printed pop soup cans. So I took this idea of, of painterly pop art and then applied it to my working ideas on Canadian identity, which if you look at the collection are often, they're either mashups or word plays of Canadian products that we grew up with, or some of them still exist today. And the idea, I don't know if it's come through, but the idea is to make a commentary on where our products come from, corporate ownership, and in some ways connecting back to the pandemic and you know where our food comes from, what are essentials, all of these things. I spent a lot of time in grocery stores in the last year and I couldn't help but notice product availability, empty shelves. Food is such a, a vehicle for talking about supply and demand and what we need and what we have, who can access what. So I wanted to encapsulate all of that into, into these new pieces. Um, pop art, as, as it sounds popular, um, it has this quality of kind of sucking you in with, you know, color blocking and simplicity. But I, I think behind it, there's a bigger message. And that was the goal. My absolute favorite so far, because you still are releasing them every day at 10 a.m. Eastern time. My favorite so far has been the peanut butter and jam one. That, that to me, is like such a clever mashup that speaks volumes and is, is multi-layered. I love that one. I'm glad you like that one. I like that one because... It really plays on scale. Those are meant to be the tiny little packets of peanut butter and jam you would get at like a diner. So I love the idea of taking something teeny tiny and making it colossal, much bigger than life. So that was particularly fun. I am 100% on board with that. I So in just as a side note, in my daughter's room, I I have... So my absolute favorite book as a kid growing up was Put Me in the Zoo. And so... Uh, I basically scanned that and scaled it up so it's like five feet across by eight and a half feet high and it's it's uh yeah so i i am completely on board with scaling life up i think that there's so many interesting things that can be observed when we enlarge for sure love it i'll look up that book it's so good it's so good yeah. now can you tell us more about some of your other recent projects so for example I saw that your stunning hand lettering, which is, I, I received a package in the mail from you uh, at some point in the last year, and and the my name on the 
envelope. I didn't want to throw out the envelope. But your your hand lettering is absolutely stunning. And it appears on the cover and in the pages of the July and August issue of Reader's Digest Canada. You've also done some hand-painted window signage. And you've worked on a project called Painted with Pride. So can you just tell us more about everything you've been up to in the last year since we chatted last? Well, I'm glad you like the envelope. Um, <laughs> but don't keep that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I ended up uh, tossing it, good, recycling good. it. <laughs> yes, the pandemic year has been very weird, but I have been able, I've been really blessed to have some great projects land in my inbox. Um, as you mentioned, Reader's Digest came about through a colleague. Um, they were looking for some hand lettering to really make the, the, the front cover pop in a way that uh, a font wouldn't. So we worked on that and I think the fun part about that was it was in both English and French so um, you always have to account for extra spacing with the French characters and French words but overall I think myself and the client were happy with the way that it it sort of had a personal touch I think I don't want to generalize but I think sometimes Reader's Digest comes off as just a, a regular magazine so this really kind of make it, made it pop um what else window painting yeah there's been some window painting I did actually a good amount of like COVID pandemic related window painting with just like rules and regulations for people when they enter a, a building the hand the the hand painting on the windows sort of it does have a more human touch than just sticking on vinyl I mean even in terms of cost you know it's on par with printing maybe even cheaper so for businesses who are having money related issues related to the pandemic is a pretty economical solution and I really like doing it so uh, it, it worked out really well and then two other personal projects that came up earlier this year I did a series of paintings called new and improved where I painted on top of um, existing paint by numbers so that was a lot of fun and then painted with pride for for pride month in June I created I guess six new paintings around the concept of pride inclusion but again sort of from a pop art perspective where it's a bit it's a bit on it's a bit parody it's a bit sort of Canadian um Canadian like pun punniness so in a way the the new and improved the painted with pride and then now the new pop they all kind of tie together and that was the whole goal and what does your process typically look like for work that exists in digital spaces? So perhaps the Reader's Digest magazine, although it does also obviously work in print. But how does your process differ from that that will exist in physical spaces like window signage? Do you start from an analog space or a digital space, pencil and paper, tablet? What does that process look like? It's true. It's funny because it does, it seems to, it bounces back and forth depending on the start point. I'm, I am working between multiple mediums where I'll start pencil and paper. I'll move over to brush pen or ink or paint. That original work will get scanned and manipulated in Illustrator or whatever, and then exported for print. But even as a funny flip side to that, sometimes that whole process happens where it's like analog on paper, scanned, manipulated in Illustrator, and then I'll go and paint it on a window. So it's almost like a double, triple analog, digital, analog, digital effect. Uh, so that's kind of fun. I don't really, I don't really have rules about it. It's just kind of what is needed for the project. 
And if it is coming from custom hand lettering, I want to keep the detail and the, all the little incongru incongruities intact. So I try not to manipulate it too much. And do you have a favorite type of pen or pencil or notebook or what, what materials does Christopher Rouleau use to help get his ideas out from his brain and onto the sheet of paper? Uh, I'm currently not sponsored by any pen companies. So I will not <laughs> be using any pens. I keep a basic set of markers and pens in my kit, mostly just to have different sizes of pens um, because as you might know, all brush pens have a different quality when they hit the paper. And then depending on the inkiness or the, the wetness of the brush, I'll either just use standard, standard just printer paper or I'll, I'll move up to like a cardstock if, it's, if it bleeds too much. And if I want more texture or grit, I'll upgrade to like a, 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 like a bond or a watercolor paper that has a bit more tooth and then that gives texture within the lettering. And then the sign painting, most of the paint likes to be on a very smooth, hard surface. So I'll use like bristle board because the, the, the surface is coated. So really a range of tools, but yeah, nothing, not one. There's no one brand, sadly, that I can promote here. <laughs> now, do you ever, for your hand lettering, do you ever start on a tablet? Like, do you use a stylus and tablet or is it always kind of from that, that uh, pen and paper? So full disclosure, again, I do not own a tablet. I want to say I've never used a tablet, but that's not true because I did have a client approach me once with some lettering. And when, when I looked at the styles they presented as what they were looking for, I was like, well, that looks like tablet lettering. So I borrowed a friend's tablet and, um, we ended up doing the whole project through his tablet and exporting it and it was fine. But no, I do not, uh, I don't start on a tablet. I start with pen and paper. I think, I think it would, if, you know, if I got a tablet, I may use it more, but I really, really, really like pencil and paper. So I'll stick to that for now. As do I. There's something kind of magical about just, and the simplicity of just picking up a piece of paper and picking up a pen and knowing that you can create something incredible. And, and it's, yeah, it, it feels so much more tactile and real, perhaps. I think that's, for me, in the digital, everything that we do is digital. And sometimes it doesn't feel real, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I don't want like to get hate mail for this, but I don't know if we necessarily should be always celebrating how tablets are able to reproduce the qualities of pens and pencils so accurately because it's like I mean we can simulate like flavors with our food but do we want simulated flavors I like the quality of a pencil and pen on paper and I, I I have no interest in duplicating it yeah that's such an interesting comparison and I think it, it fits perfectly with your current art and, and the work of the new pop. Now, I've read, I was using my Google machine and on the interweb, I read that your love of lettering began early in your life with your grandmother's beautiful cursive writing. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about this source of inspiration. I can. My grandmother has always been very important to me and I spent a lot of time at her house when I was very young. So along with 
all the other things kids did, like coloring books and coloring contests and drawing. For some reason, I always noticed her cursive writing you know, all over, whether it be like the notepad beside the phone where she would make little notes about whatever, or recipe cards, or even her crossword puzzles. I was always noticing, like, I love her writing, and I wish I could write like that. And like, I would just spend afternoons just at the table with basically like full scap, just writing out the alphabet, writing out names, and there was no like finished product really, uh, but it was just, I, I liked doing it. And I liked, I mean, I wasn't trying to copy her, but I just liked the idea of letters. And then later, you know, when you start to notice teachers handwriting and like other students handwriting, you're like, wow, everybody is taught the same letters, but everybody has a different style. And I always was just so fascinated by that idea. I too had uh, a grandmother with beautiful handwriting and I still have some of her recipe cards that I've also considered coming back to our previous conversation. I've also considered enlarging, scanning and enlarging to make some sort of art for our home because it, uh, yeah, me too. I, I was fascinated by her ability to write with such precision and, and such like just beautiful letter forms. It's, it was really neat growing up with that lettering influence. Not that I'm, <laughs> my my handwriting is not spectacular, but it's, it's such a, a neat source of inspiration that I can certainly relate to. Do you think, and this is perhaps completely off topic, but I'm curious to know your answer. Do you think that kids should still learn cursive writing in school these days? For sure, yes. Yes, I don't even know why it needs justifying. I think like... I mean, it's such a practical, useful skill, just like in everyday life, but it's also just one of those skills that like connects us to the past. And like, you look at cursive now and kids that can't read it. And it's almost like the secret language that only some people can understand when really it doesn't seem that difficult to integrate it into like school programs, art programs in like elementary school. It's not like you need to spend grades one to five learning cursive, but like just like a simple introductory course. And then if kids are very interested, they can pursue it further. Uh, I had this vision a few years ago of creating like the cursive school bus that would drive across Canada and teach kids cursive. Um, still waiting. Can you please do that? Waiting for the grant money on that. That sounds absolutely incredible. Yeah, sign me up. I will do it. Yes. I will throw my kids into that bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say too, but you bring up an interesting point about perhaps it today, perhaps it belongs in an art curriculum. Maybe that's a good place for cursive, the study of letter forms and the study of, of handwriting from that lens. I think so. Yeah, it's not necessarily like language arts and it's not whatever weird like home life thing it's it's an art it, to me it's like an art skill like painting or drawing kind of but it's connected to language so I think it could fit into art programs which is also why I think we need to always support any like funding related to the arts we need to keep the money in the arts and any kind of arts uh, are valuable for the kids but I think especially visual arts drawing painting and then cursive I 100% agree because I think that there's so so much that kids and adults alike can learn about themselves and learn about the world through putting tool to to medium, whether it be, yeah, paint, 
to canvas or or pen to paper there's there's so much that we can learn about ourselves in the world through that practice now what most inspires you today so how do you find inspiration for your work that's a tricky one just because like we're in an era where there's just inspiration well there's inspiration everywhere you look especially online and on your devices on social media if you're looking to look at things, there is content everywhere. So I do find a lot of inspiration on what I see from colleagues producing letters and signs from around the world. But even just going for walks every day and looking at old signs and in laneways and like, like I said, in grocery stores, looking at packaging, especially like imported foods, packaging from around the world. There are just so many interesting specimens and combinations that like every day, I think if you look hard enough, you'll find something new. So I'm a huge proponent of just looking everywhere. Yes, I love that. And I love that that inspiration can come from something seemingly so mundane as a walk through the grocery store. And, and I think your new collection also kind of plays on that idea. Now, I asked you the same question this time last year, but I'm curious to see if your answer has changed. So if you had to choose only one typeface to use for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? I think last time, I remember what I said last time, and I still cannot totally think of a typeface family that is more versatile and that I would actually use. So I still stand by Futura. That is a very solid and classic choice. And a year later, you have still chosen it. So it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you are staying true to your word. Yeah, nothing's changed. <laughs> Everything's changed, yet nothing's changed. True. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Christopher. It's been a pleasure as always. And I wish you all the best with your project and uh, the new pop and all of your future endeavors. And we'll stay in touch. Thanks again. Oh,